It's Friday, June 5th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, uh, another day, another stalemate in the negotiations between the players and the owners in Major League Baseball. Uh, the Players Association coming out uh, pretty much with a strong statement saying, saying that they will not budge on any sort of salary, uh, any further salary givebacks to the the owners if there's a season to be played here in 2020. Yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're standing behind that prorated, um, pro-rated uh, salary amount that they agreed to on March 26th. You know, the owners have uh, tried to get around that. They floated the uh, 50-50 revenue sharing plan. Then they came at the union with a sliding scale that would, you know, would penalize the, the highest paid players the most. And, uh, you know, the, the least, the, you know, the, the players that were making the, the least amount, the, uh, you know, they would not have mu- that, you know, big, as big a percentage cut from their salary. Again, that, that fell on deaf ears. And we're back to where basically where we started, Joe, uh, the, the, uh, the association is saying the, the owners won't negotiate with them and are threatening them with a, a shorter season that could range anywhere from 48 to 50 to 60 games, I guess, in that range. And, and that's something that I don't think anybody, uh, you know, fans, players, I don't even think the owners really want that, uh, a shortened season that would be, that would almost be viewed as not necessarily even legitimate at this point. You know, why are you, you why are you going to risk the players' health and everybody involved their their health and safety uh, with coronavirus out there to go out and play fifty games just so you can get to a postseason and and try to you know artificially create that that postseason excitement uh, with with teams that have only been together for for fifty games? I, I that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I I think eventually this thing gets back to closer to eighty games, and I don't know. The players are going to have to give a little bit on this salary thing, I think. And uh, if you you would think there would be somebody on each side of this thing that would just say, "Let's get get this thing over with," you know, "Let's get it on on," let's get it, you know, shove it out the front door. Let's see how it rolls, and uh, you know, let, and we'll worry about. We'll pick up the pieces when the season's over. Right, you know, let's just just compromise to that point and and argue about it when it's over and at Christmas time. Well, yeah, and it's not like they don't have another bargaining session coming up at the end of next year, anyways, because they they have to get the a, a new CBA in place after twenty twenty one. So, let, why not just make whatever mistakes you got to make now and then make up for it at, at, during the next round of new negotiations in the time that they've sort of bickered and this is going on two weeks now back and forth over over these proposals in that time that the national hockey league the national basketball association all sorts of other sports have announced plans for their returns to to play or uh, you're even you've even got coaches coming back into the building for for the browns and the the nfl uh baseball is went from an opportunity to be out in front of this to way behind everybody else in a matter of two weeks. They're making a spectacle of themselves. They really are against this backdrop. I mean, this is normal operating procedure for these two parties, you know, but against this backdrop, as we've talked about before, Joe, it's, 
you know, it's uncalled for. It's, it's really, it's, it's almost un-American to, to not be able to reach a deal when you've got people unemployed, you've got over 100,000 people that have died from the virus, and you've got uh, protests in the streets going on 11 days. I mean, it's just, just you know, I, I, I just don't get it. I, and I should get it. I've done this long enough that I should understand it. And it just leads me to believe, Joe, that these two are itching for a fight. And we haven't seen the biggest fight until the end of the 2021 season where they, you know, that's where this is leading to. Right. And uh, like you said, you've, you've been through this before. You've seen this in, in cycles for, you know, many years in, in terms of this, this sort of labor unrest between the, the two parties. Uh, it, it's been a while since you've seen it, though. It's been a while since they've had, uh, you know, any sort of discord between the two parties. I don't want to say any sort of discord, but, you know, they've, they've at least had an agreement in place and they, whether or not one side likes the agreement uh, more than the other, they've, they've been able to play and there haven't, there, there haven't been interruptions in that agreement, you know, for a long time going on 15 years, right? No, longer than that. Since the 94, 95 season, that was, the, that's, a, that's the last one that's been interrupted by a striker. So they've had what going on 25, 26 years of labor peace, you know, and, and Joe, I think, you know, this is just me speculating. I, I really think they miss Michael Weiner, who was, uh, you know, that led the, uh, uh, was the executive director of the Players Association uh, before, uh, before uh, Tony Clark took over. He died young, died of cancer, unfortunately. And, and those, him and Manfred had, could reach common ground. I think, you know, Wiener wasn't a uh, a hard a hardline guy like Don Fear, and and I mean he 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 gave some room. He he gave the the owner some room to operate. They were able to do that. They were able to keep the peace. I think uh, Tony Clark is is in a tough spot, but you know Tony Clark has seen the um, the strength of the union evaporate a little bit over the last three or four years. Teams have found ways to get around the salary cap. They've frozen out, you know, the five to $7 million a year veteran guys in, in their thirties. You know, those guys are gone. They, they, mm-hmm. they've turned to, you know, they, the, the teams have gone younger and younger uh, where they can uh, control the salaries to a certain degree. You know, even, uh, you know, even a Lindor, you know, probably isn't making what he, sh- what he, obviously he's not going to make what he's, he's on the free agent market, but, to keep you know him under your thumb for five years and control his price through arbitration, you know. So they've 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 learned to work and they've kind of eaten away at the uh, the entitlements that the uh, union had, and uh, you know. So Clark is kind of in a corner here. He's got to you know prove something to uh, the rank and file, and it's going to be you know. And I don't know if that's going to lead. What we're, well we're seeing where it's leading right now. Well, we've already seen that, you know, in, in comments, in you know, speculation about the offers that are coming from the, the league, that they're trying to inspire that, you know, lack of confidence in Tony Clark. Uh, th- there were comments I, I read uh, over the weekend that came out that said, you know, this is more of a, a commentary on your, your, your leadership, your association's leadership, and that, that was directly at Tony Clark, the uh, 
in, in, about his ability to get a deal done here. Um, you're right about the the 30 year old veterans making five million dollars don't exist anymore. Those guys are all on uh, one million dollar exactly. minor minor league invites, or you know, they're they're what happened to Jason Kipnis. That's, it, that's exactly, exactly right. And those guys are 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 all gone. Uh, and then you've got the the players union filing a grievance over the teams that aren't spending their um, their revenue sharing money. In, in the way that they're supposed to be spending their revenue sharing money, teams like Miami and Pittsburgh uh, that are supposed to be reinvesting those dollars back into, you know, potentially free agents. And they're not doing that. They're not going out and signing anybody. Right. So, yeah. They, 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 the owners have worked their way around that too. They're, you know, well, they're saying if we build an Academy in the Dominican, if we add another farm team, if we improve uh, our spring training facility, that, that means we're trying to make ourselves better, but, you know, they're, they're staying away from the free agent market. That's for sure. Yeah. I just don't see how this gets done unless the owners uh, accept the fact that they're going to have to take a little bit of a bath on, on at least this season. Maybe it means deferring payments for, for a year or two, uh, you know, split those deferrals up over the next couple of years, make sure that the players get the money that they negotiated for back in March, but maybe not necessarily up front right now. I, it's the only way I think that that something like that happens. But you know, like like you and I said before we started recording here, uh, I, I'm I'm actually kind of positive. I think a, a deal is closer, you know, right now than it was a couple of days ago. Uh, I think within the next couple of days, we might we might see some movement and see something done. Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I think the pressure has to be building on both sides. Uh, you know, the owners are still, you know, I. You know, in these things, I always come down on the side of the players. I really do. And the owners are like, not insidious, but obviously very good negotiators. Like that sliding scale, you know, that, that they offered to cut the prorated thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's to sow seeds of dissension in the union because you know, the, the guys with the highest salaries were getting, were getting chopped the, wo- the most. They were losing the most money. And, you know, they were always, they're always in there like, you know, kind of twisting the knife that they can. And and that's why it's so hard for these two to, to just reach a deal to me. And that you would just wish that two guys could just get in a room, talk it out and, and, and get it done. And, 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 you know, you and I know like the, the, the players had a conference call last night with over a hundred players. On it. Mm-hmm. No one gets anything done when you've got a hundred, hundred guys on the phone line. Nope. It's just there's too many opinions. It's, there's just so you've got to whoever is running the show has to get in there with two one or two trusted people, get a deal done, and then go to the owners and then you know get into a room with four guys, two from each side, and get a deal done. Well, and I, I think we're seeing that maybe there are in this generation of players that maybe they're there are a couple of leaders among the players association. You've got guys like Max Scherzer, uh, Andrew Miller, who's come out. Those are guys who I think have the confidence of the, the rest of the, the guys in the the players association. And I think when they speak, it it carries a lot of weight. And so far what we've seen out of those guys is, is a, a united front, very, very strong. So uh, yeah, it's, it's still, it's, it's, this is just such an unprecedented, unprecedented situation that 
anything that that happens it's going to make history it's going to be sort of significant to to look back on and, and see and, and it's it's going to set precedent for for future negotiations i think yeah, uh as as far as setting precedent uh the the word came out uh within the last 24 hours that stadiums in texas will be allowed not not necessarily that they will under major league baseball's guidelines but the governor in texas said that uh, up to 50% capacity that 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 teams could have fans at games. Uh, this is this is big news, especially since the the whole sticking point really for Major League Baseball is that fans aren't going to be allowed in the stands at least at the beginning for these games. If Texas is is going to be able to play games in front of fans, you know, do do they keep all that money? Do they do they share that money with the rest of the league? What's the what's the result of that that opens up a whole nother can of worms but at least it's what it looks like is for for the months of july and august you're, you're going to be able to make some some gate money in those two ballparks yeah and uh you know they texas has been one of those very progressive i mean aggressive states and reopening i think you know a couple of weeks ago they they said the stadium capacity would be 25 percent. now it's up to 50 percent and uh you know, for, for fans to go in there. And I just don't, I mean, it's like, I wonder how you do that. You know, I mean, how, how does that work? I mean, do you have to practice social distancing. Are you, everybody wearing masks? I mean, well, and are there, are there concessions? Are there, you know, souvenirs that are they going to have to have workers for all that stuff? You're going to have to have security and, and parking and, uh, like I said, a whole can of worms gets opened up with that. But then, do other states fall in line? Do others? If if Texas is going to do this, does Ohio, which has been ahead of the curve this whole time, does Ohio go ahead and jump in on that? I I really don't see Governor DeWine changing the course from what he said all along, which is we have to be you know doing this smart and and taking our time with it. That this seems like a a major leap forward if you're talking about returning people by the thousands to an event venue. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think we've got to wait and see just uh, when this, if and when this season gets started and what the protocols are going to be. Cause I don't think you're, you're not going to have like, you know, 25,000 fans in Texas and nobody's playing, nobody's sitting, nobody's allowed to come to the ballpark in Cleveland. I don't think you're going to be able to do that. I mean, if the coronavirus is, if it's if it's you know on an equal playing field, I mean, I mean that's that, that's 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 crazy. But I guess it you know if the virus was is an uptick in one city and is flattened down in another. Well, and know. this goes this goes way back to, you know, back in April when we had these discussions and when we were doing podcasts in April, and I was saying, I was even speculating that you wouldn't be able to return to New York City. To, to play games in a, in a stadium there based on just the, the level of impact of the virus in that city. You know, some cities have are, are bigger hot zones than others, but I guess the, the way that the pathology of the, the virus has, has taken its course, I guess there is such a thing as herd immunity. And I, I guess New York being overrun so much with the virus that it, it actually works in their favor to try and, you know, get things back in order earlier. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. You bring this is above my pay grade. 
Yeah. It's interesting you bring the Yankee Stadium up. I was talking to somebody from Major League Baseball yesterday about the, uh, you know, the, the story we had about uh, announcers not going on the road with teams, mm-hmm. you know, TV and radio announcers. And they said, the, uh, you know, John Sterling is like 80 years old, the, the Yankees PR guy, uh, play-by-play guy. And uh, he, they said that the Yankees might be doing home and away games from their studio in Stamford, Stamford, Connecticut, which wow. is really interesting. Where they won't even go, and I don't know if that's out of you know respect for or you know, caution for Sterling's age, or that's just the way they're going to work it. Right. Yeah. Anybody in that high risk group, I, I think, would would want to think twice before going to a, a venue like that. But again, you, you know, they, Hammy said when we talked to Tom Hamilton. It's you would think that anybody traveling with the teams or anybody associated around the teams, they're going to be tested more than once and, and, and regularly. So, you know, you're going to know who's got it among those people. As long as you keep yourself pretty isolated in that regard, it, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. I would think that they could shuttle Sterling in and out of that, that stadium, you know, pretty safely if they needed to. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, but who knows? I don't know. That's what the speculation was, so we'll see how that goes. I mean, if if we ever get back to the ballpark this year, and, uh, you know, just for us, I can't imagine being allowed down to the, the sub-level for any reason like we would for post-game or pre-game interviews. I would yeah, think I that would all thinking, be done. You know, maybe they could set something up, uh, an interview room up, uh, you know, on the on – the, the you know the main concourse or some you know I, I don't know why even, we couldn't use the, the interview room the postseason interview room that, or even out room. on or even out on the field you know why yeah. not out on the field after there's got to be a way to do it I mean they do it in the White House they do it in the government governors meetings across the street you know they're, they're they have you know mass press conferences the reporters to social distance so hopefully we're able to get some access what uh what design are you going to have on your mask i'm just i'm just wondering if you if you could pick (laughs) you pick a mask design what are you going to have on there i've got a uh i'm not gonna (laughs) i've i've been i've been threatening to do this on my mask but i'm not gonna do it i can't say it i can't say it no uh you know no um star wars or marvel characters on your on your mask like iron man that's pretty good yeah i do it you know, my wife. Uh, my wife is the uh, uh, superintendent in Newberry, and mm-hmm. she's got a Black Knight mask. Oh so wow! I wear that. You know, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that'd, that'd be kind of neat. I, I could do. Uh, I could do Boba Fett or uh, any Star Wars character, Stormtrooper mask, Darth Vader mask. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah, actually, I think my dad has a Darth Vader mask that that my mom got for him. So that 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 would be all right. I, we could. You got to look. Right now, we're sitting. We've been sitting here for three months. <laughs> We're we're at our wits end about this. You got to do something creative. Get fun with it, and and get a mask that expresses your character. I guess I don't know. That's right. Uh, I can tell you. I can guarantee you, and tell you one thing that you won't see on a mask on any uh, team representative or uh, pretty much anybody in the press box either. You won't see a Chief Wahoo mask. Yeah, you will not see the Chief Wahoo mask. But uh, I, I I don't know. It's... <laughs> I, we're going to move on before one or both of us says something that we totally <laughs> regret. Uh, as far as um, 
this date in Indians history, we look back on Sam McDowell, uh, 15 strikeout performance. And, and Paul, you, you noted something before we started recording about uh, Sudden Sam. He, uh, he, did, he, he topped that 15 strikeout plateau pretty, pretty regularly. Yeah, six times he had 15 or more strikeouts, Joe. Wow. And, and uh, more, you know, Feller had four. I think Louis Tian had three. And, you know, this just he, – he had a great arm, you know, but Sam was his own worst enemy, as sometimes ballplayers are. He, he had a, a drinking problem, and he admits it. He's turned his life around. He's a – you know, he became a uh, an addiction counselor for some teams in Major League Baseball, and uh, he's – He's living a good life in Florida right now. So, but boy, what a pitcher. I mean, and he, you know, he readily admits he should be in the Hall of Fame if he, if he could have controlled, uh, could have, he just had, he just couldn't stop drinking it until, you know, he was out, he, his career was over. And uh, well, thankfully he did. And he's, but uh, what, a, what an arm. Jeez, oh man. The thing that, that strikes me about McDowell's numbers and just that stretch of, of years that he went on with the, with the strikeouts that he had, he, he really modeled sort of the today's pitchers with the, the way that the, the strikeout numbers have, have just jumped in recent years. He really was ahead of his time in that regard. Like he, he was a, a dominant left-handed strikeout pitcher. Like that was his goal was to, to strike you out, not to – let the ball get put in play, like like so many of uh, of the pitchers of his time. Uh, he didn't pitch to contact; he struck you out. Yeah, and he was a typical lefty too. He could throw like I don't know how what his velocity was. You know, he could he could beat anybody with his with his fastball, but he didn't want to do that. He had to he wanted to trick people. You know, he he, he he wanted to get you out with sliders or curveballs or breaking balls. And here the guy's like throwing 98 miles an hour. I, I remember talking to Doc Edwards when he managed uh, the Indians. And Doc was uh, caught, caught Sam, you know, in the 60s. And uh, Sam was one game he, he ran out there because he wasn't throwing his fastball. And, and uh, Doc, Doc said, What's going on? Why aren't you throwing your fastball? And McDowell goes, I want to trick this guy. I can, I can, you know, and, 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 and Doc got mad. He goes, what are you afraid of this guy? <laughs> and, and Sam got, got pissed and said, get back behind the plate. And he said, the next pitch looked like a stream of milk, just pouring out of a pitcher. It just, it just like, you know, he threw it so hard. It just like somebody spilled a glass of milk. That's what Doc said. And yeah. it just came at him. And, and uh, <laughs> but, he he said he was an interesting guy. It had a con uh, contrail on it, or a, you know, a tail on it as it was yeah. coming to the plate, huh? Uh, it, that's interesting. You know, he 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 had a great fastball, but he wanted to trick a guy. He wanted to pitch to him and prove to him that he was smarter. Who's that sound like, Paul? What, <laughs> what pitcher does? What pitcher in recent tribe history does that sound like? Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely sounds like Trevor Bauer over the last few years. Uh, I don't guy know who, if Sam had ten pitches. I think Bauer thought he had ten pitches. Or still <laughs> does think he has ten pitches. Oh, great. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap up here uh, for the week, and you know, hopefully next week we 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 look to start uh, some sort of a season preview. We're going to take a look at the, the Minnesota Twins and in subsequent weeks, every other team the Indians will face uh, in the American League Central Division. Maybe by then we'll have a decision on the season and we'll, we'll have a better picture of when all this will be happening. But, you know, we're going to start hedging our bets and, and doing a season preview, even if it's a shortened season, uh, looking at those teams 
going in. Uh, so let's uh, let's regather from the weekend and come back uh, strong on Monday and and look forward to previewing the the 2020 season in whatever way, shape, or form it is. All right. All right. All right.